If you want legendary service, if you want sweeter discounts, save by bundling auto and home with insurance. Let's do that hockey. Without further ado, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, take it away. The first overall selection in the 2023 NHL Draft belongs to the Chicago Blackhawks. Bedlam in Chicago. Chicagoland fans high-fiving on their feet, going nuts as they should be. You can see the smiles on the face of their general manager, Kyle Davidson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Dauber Prospects Report. I'm Peter Harling, and joined with me, as always, is the talent on the show, Victor Nuno. Victor, how's it going, bud? I'm doing awesome, Pete. It's so nice to be back. And we are sitting here just after the draft lottery. We delayed our recording so that we could... Take it all in. How did it sit for you? Well, I didn't have a horse in the race. You know, I don't have the Toronto's my my team. So it wasn't really any vested interest other than how can this benefit my fantasy team? And I own Patrick Laine on one of my leagues. So I was kind of rooting for Columbus because having him in, in between Patrick Laine and Johnny Goudreau would have been all right. Right. That would have been kind of fun. How about you? Yeah, for sure. I was thinking that Columbus would be fun just because there's so many good prospects there. I think they could all raise each other's stock. Anaheim too, you know, certainly playing with, with Zegris and some of the great prospects they have there. And selfishly, of course, wanted him to go to San Jose because I live, live 30 minutes from San Jose so I could see him live. That would be fun. But not a whole lot of movement in the in the draft and lottery, which was kind of unusual. Just Anaheim, Columbus going down one spot, Chicago going up two spots. And with everything that's gone on with Chicago in the last several years, not my preferred landing spot for him, but certainly a big market. And so that, uh, that I guess is good, but yeah, I didn't really have a whole lot of stake in the game. I was just selfishly wanting to have Bedard close so I could go see him. It's good for Chicago because they're an original six team. It's a good market and they are pretty devoid of talent outside of him really. You know, Anaheim's got several good players. So does Columbus. So they're going to be all right. And the second and third players that you're going to be able to draft in in this draft are going to be pretty good, like Jack Eichel level consolation prizes, right? So don't don't feel too bad. Although my heart does kind of bleed for Anaheim, always the bridesmaid, right? They finish second again. And I also feel bad for our, our awesome producer, Evan, who's at the Ducks draft party. Uh, that would have been a pretty cool event to be at, to have the team win the lottery and, and be there. So he was going to promise us some, some cool images and video and maybe interviews from the draft party. And I don't know if the Adam Fantilli lottery win is, is going to have the same impact as the Connor Retard one. <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see. Hopefully Evan can come through with some, some gems there. Uh, so that's the lottery that happened tonight as we're recording this, as you said, which is Monday the 8th. And also going on right now is some playoffs. We've got the Stanley Cup going on in the background, Edmonton and, and Vegas. But more relevant to this podcast, the road to the Memorial Cup is is getting down to the short strokes here. We got uh, conference finals happening across the CHL. And there are some prospects who are taking center stage in the WHL, the OHL, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So let's talk about some fantasy-relevant prospects who are standing out 
in the playoffs. And we're going to start out West. And the first player we're going to want to talk about is Brad Lambert. Brad Lambert, and there's there's two stories to this this player's file so far as he's developed. There's the good cop version and the bad cop version. So, what do you think, Victor? Should we uh, should we kind of just start off by splitting the first the first guy we're going to talk about and take a good cop bad cop side of the of the equation on this? Yeah, I like it, and I don't want anyone to think that. I am a Lambert truther because I'm taking the good cop stance, but I am going to point out the good here. And that is that he's been really good playing for Seattle and the Thunderbirds this season. Although, you know, you have to say the caveat that the Seattle Thunderbirds are an absolute truck, just blowing away team. So maybe it isn't so much him, but you know, he, we all kind of remember the story about Lambert. He was like destined to be one of the top picks and he just really struggled playing in the Liga the last couple of years and kind of moved around, changed teams, all that. And then he came to the AHL, which was probably not the right place for him. And, you know, here he is draft plus one year where he's played against pros for years. And you put him against the, in this junior league where you would expect him to be awesome. And he was pretty good and 38 points in 26 games in the regular season for Seattle and 20 points in 11 playoff games is also pretty good. Uh, 17 of those are assists and just three goals. And, but if you look at Mitch Brown's tracking data and of course, just four games tracked and he looks like he's jumping off the page, 100 overall rank. 99 percentile in offense defense transition. So he looks awesome in this small sample size on this amazing team in a level that is probably too low for him. So there's a lot of if caveats and exceptions there to those statements, Pete, but you can't deny that he is doing pretty well in WHL, right? He is. There's, there's no doubt about that. He's on, as you said, he's on a juggernaut of a team. He's dominating against 16 year olds. That's pretty impressive. Really? He's got 38 points in 26 games, 20 points in, in 11 playoff games. That uh, was sarcasm, by the way, if you can't detect it. I'm going to take the, the bad cop, the bond cop, bad cop side here. And my take on him is, so we're a fancy pos- uh, prospect podcast, right? So people want to know, oh, is this the real Brad Lambert now? Is is he uh, is he as good as, as everyone thought he was in his D minus one or D minus two year, even where people were saying he's going to be the first finish guy picked first overall. And then he struggled mightily and the pro level granted as a teenager change of scenery in the Liga, getting traded from one team to another didn't make a lick of difference. He was still very ineffective 0.3 point per game. We saw him play at the world juniors, right? So junior level uh, against the elite the best of the best of his age group. He played in the World Juniors in 2021 and he had four points in seven games. That was pretty good. As he's gone on, his point totals should be better. His play should be improved. And it's gone the opposite direction. He had one point in five games in 21-22 and then one goal in five games at the past World Juniors. And he was a healthy scratch for some games. My knocks on him... Looking at the numbers aside, just watching the eye test. Yeah, he's a great skater. And yeah, he's got some undeniable skill. There, there's some puck skills there to be sure. What my problem is, is his compete level as consistency. That's a pretty big red flag. And, you know, when you 
put him against junior players, guys who are you know teenagers and playing in a junior league, and they know that this is going to be the pinnacle of their career. There's a level of of compete there that's well below what you see at the pro level when you got guys playing for paychecks, looking to feed their families, and he can't keep up with that level. And then I'm also concerned about his hockey sense and his processing and the pace that he can, that he's capable of playing at works good in junior, not so good at the pro level. So if, you know, if I inherited a team or if, or if I drafted Brad Lambert in a fantasy league, I'd be taking his hot streak in in junior and trying to use that to sell and say, Oh, look, this guy was a steal at 30th overall in the first round. He's, he's a top 10 pick. He should have been picked in the top five. He's so good. But I'll trade him to you for whatever I can, whatever you think you can give me for him. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm I'm not a, a fan of him. And you know, in drafts on my draft board that year, I was quite happy to put him down in my third round and let other people pick him way too early. I definitely had him very low, falling out of the first round. First of all, if he was on your fantasy team, I would think there was something wrong with you or you were somehow incapacitated during that draft because you probably made a mistake. I wouldn't expect him to be on your team. So, yeah, I would definitely if I inherited him like that, I would I would just try to trade him exactly as you said. Let's move him on to someone who wants to take that risk and believes in him because I I definitely am out and I don't believe this uh this little blip playing on an all-star team in junior is for real. So I we agree on the first one. All right. Let's move on to the next guy, Jagger Furcus, Seattle's second round pick back in 2022. He is a 5'10 right wing, plays for uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors in the WHL. He's played there for his, uh, his last couple of years. 80 points in 66 games during his draft season and 88 points in 66 games in his D plus one season. So that's pretty good. I mean, he increased it, maybe not by a ton, but a little bit. And one of the big knocks on him is that he's a, he's a little bit small, but he hasn't really grown much, but uh, he, you know, he is showing a little that he can continue to score at least at this level. I think the big thing for him will be this next year when he moves on to the AHL, which he did get in one playoff game for the Coachella Valley Firebirds, but didn't, didn't do anything in that game during the WHL playoffs. He's been two points per game. So that's pretty awesome. If you look at his, uh, his, his tracking, data from from mitch brown he uh he looks pretty darn good in his shots per 60 that's like his money maker where he's really gonna excel he's also pretty good at making dangerous passes to the slot defensively not really where his <laughs> bread is going to be butter neither is his transition game not the best skater especially for a small guy but man does he generate a lot on his shot so Burkus uh went down in terms of his star potential a little bit just based on not increasing his numbers quite as much as you would like, but he still looks like he's somewhere between a first and second liner. Got some comps in the PNHLE model of guys like Brendan Gallagher, Joffrey Lupul, or maybe Tyler Ennis. So again, we have to wait and see what he does in the AHL. That could be a big determining factor for Jagger Furcus. I, I like the guy, but I'm not, I'm not running out to, to trade for him. If I had him, I would just stand pat and kind of see how it goes next year i don't know are you gonna are you gonna buy any stock of uh of jagger Furcus there pete probably not because the price tag will be higher than i would be willing to pay there's two things about him that i really like his name which is 
the best name in hockey. It's awesome. And his shot, he has got an NHL level shot. And that's going to be his bread and butter, his meal ticket, I think, to the NHL. Saw him live at the top prospects game, and he really impressed in that game. And there was a lot of buzz from the uh, the hockey blogging, scouting community in the intermissions and whatnot, talking about him and how impressive he was. I don't know if that's going to be a, a really top six NHL skill there, right? Like what else does he have besides his shot? He's not very big. He's not very physical. He's not very good defensively. Like you said, his skating is okay. So, you know, he's he's got to have at least one elite skill and he does his shot. It's got to be really good in the NHL. Like he's he's got to be scoring 20 goals a season or he'll be doing it in the American Hockey League. Yeah, that's that's what I want to see because you're right. He doesn't do any much else. And I really just want to see, can he beat pro goalies because that's what we don't know and if he can i have renewed interest and yeah if he does that pretty successfully but if not i'm yeah i'm, I'm pretty lukewarm it's a pretty good trick for a one-trick pony the next guy up i want to talk about is coming from the winnipeg ice that is matthew savoy Drafted 20 in a in 2022 draft by Buffalo in the first round, ninth overall. He does have pretty widespread Fantrax ownership. He's rostered 75%. He has been just dominating the playoffs in the WHL, leading the ice into the, the final. They've, they've got a ticket already. He scored 11 goals, which is tied for second in the league. He's got 16 assists which is tied for third in the overall in the league and 27 points tied for first in 14 games. So two points per game pace is what he's scoring at. Last time I checked, that was that was good. His regular season totals from his draft year to his D plus one year and his final year of junior uh, were relatively stagnant, though. 90 to 95 points. His point per game totals didn't really move that much. So that's a little concerning. But, you know, like I've just pointed out, he's he's really corrected that concern with an exclamation mark with the playoffs. Players that can elevate their games in the playoffs are something that you want to take notice of. Those are some players who project as the the games get more intense as the pace picks up, gets faster, the stakes get higher and the pressure and all of that. Well, that's exactly what happens when you move from junior to the pro levels, right? Like the pace gets higher, the stakes get higher, the competition gets harder and harder as you go. So players that stand out in the playoffs, that's optimistic that they'll they'll, they'll translate to the higher level. He's a little undersized. Uh, he's 5'9", 179. And I remember in his first year, he got like knocked out with a body check. Just I can't remember who hit him now off the top of my head, but like he was lying on, on his back on the ice looking up. So that was something that was a concern for me, you know, being undersized and getting rocked like that. That's only going to get worse or more concerning, I should say, as he progresses and gets playing against men. He's a shifty skater, though. He'll struggle at the NHL level with with hockey sense and, and size, if anything. But he's going to turn pro next year. So expect to see a year of AHL development for sure before he's ready to uh, challenge for a roster spot. The young up and coming Sabres. That's going to be a tough, a tough nut to crack, man, to get onto that roster. They're a bit of all right these days. Projecting him, you know, going forward upside, I should say. I like him to make the league in, in about a year and a half to two years. And I think he's a probable 30 goal scorer and someone who I would think would be more of a winger, 
than a center at the NHL, given his uh, size concerns. You've got some some comments on here. You got some some charts to, to talk about. So I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, I'd love to hear what you have to think about Matt Savoy. Yeah, as you mentioned, I don't think he's a center either. He definitely has a really high IQ and offensive acumen. You know, you look even statistically, okay, undersized, high score in the WHL. Oh, must be like Braden Point. Well, NHL equivalency wise, he matches up exactly to Braden Point. I'm not surprised that he's continued to do well in WHL. He's on a good team and he clearly is better than all this competition. But what's going to happen when he goes to the HL? What's going to happen when he goes to the NHL? And he might turn, he might evolve into a really good playmaking winger. You know, I think that there's still a good out, a still reasonable outcome where he becomes a top six uh, scoring winger when he has a strong centerman to do some of those other things. So that's what I think about Savoy. I'm personally, I don't have any shares of him. I didn't invest anything in him. I had him a little bit lower on my draft board. So I didn't, you know, was I knew other people were going to take him and I was totally fine with that. Even though some of the numbers in junior still look really, really good. I still don't fully believe it that it's going to translate that's my biggest concern yeah fair enough i mean i've got some some concerns that he's going to translate as well but uh you know if i had stock in him i would be content to hold it for now and just watch just to see what he does when he gets to the american hockey league with with rochester next season so let's switch leagues. Let's jump over into my backyard and talk about the Ontario Hockey League. The London Knights have defeated the Sarnia Sting. So they are in the OHL finals. They win the Wayne Gretzky trophy, I believe the Western calls it. And then we've got, I think game seven is going as we speak right now, actually. The Peterborough Peets and the North Bay Battalion. I'll kick it off. I'll start talking about Kyle McDonald. He's leading the OHL in playoff scoring for forwards. He's an undrafted player. He's 21 years old now, so he's in his overage season, but he's 6'4", 210. It's not too surprising that he's kind of dominating the Ontario Hockey League a little bit. So even though he went undrafted, he has been signed as a free agent. We didn't talk about him on our free agent episode, though, so we'll squeeze him in here. Uh, Signed by the Dallas Stars recently on the 10th of March. So because he's so recently signed in the NHL, he's got like 0% Fantrax roster ship. He's leading the OHL in, in playoff goals with 12. If you're in a dynasty league, he's got some good bash, as you would say. He averages close to 1.6 hits per game playing in the Ontario Hockey League, which quite frankly is a no-hit league. There is not a lot of contact in the Ontario Hockey League. And he averages over a half a, a block the game, so 0.68 block shots per game, which for a forward, it's not too shabby. It's a late bloomer, as a lot of the CHL free agents are. He did not play at all in the COVID season where the OHL was shut down, which was his draft plus one year. Dallas has done a really great job of scouting OHL talent lately, right? They've got Wyatt Johnson, Jason Robertson, Christian Cairo, Francesco Arcuri, and now they've, you know, so the scout that they have watching the OHL guys has got a pretty good track record going, I would say. So the fact that they signed him to a free agent contract gives me pause to take a closer look at this file. And a lot of the leagues I'm in, and a lot of the leagues I think that the people that listen to the show are in, are probably in similar format leagues where you've got 20 plus teams to 32 competing in the league. And each team has probably a 
you know, a full NHL roster of 22 players and then or 24, whatever your, your roster limit is. And then a prospects roster as well. That's close to gets you up to close to 50 contracts. That's deep. So you're going to need players like this to come out of nowhere. And if you're in a league that has, you know, multi-cat scoring, this is a player that, you know, will be on an entry-level contract. You won't have to wait four years to find out if if he's going to make it to the NHL or not. Like I said, he's 21 years old already. So next year he'll play in the American Hockey League. And then after that, you'll know from how he transitioned to the AHL right away if he's someone you want to continue to roster. And you could probably acquire him in your league for, for nothing. Or if he goes in your your draft with the entry draft guys, someone you could you know maybe try and pick up with a, a fourth or fifth round pick, something like that. If your if your draft goes that deep, now Victor, I know that you're you're never as keen on on these like deep deep outliers as I am, so I'm sure you're gonna poo poo on Kyle McDonald. So so take it away. Here comes the poop train. Woo-hoo. No, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much you called it. I. I well, I, I will echo your sentiments that I like that you don't have to wait. You are not going to have to wait on him. He's going to be pretty ready to step into a pro roster, whether that's whether he can make the Dallas team out of camp, you know, maybe, or maybe he goes to the A. But he's got great size. He's he's big body, 207 pounds, six foot four, throws a lot of hits, as you mentioned. So there's a high floor there and there's zero wait time. So we're either going to find out real quick that maybe he is one of these late bloomers and has a lot of upside or he's kind of more what I think, which is, you know, probably just a, a bottom six guy that that might you know be a good banger, which, you know, in some leagues still with the with the contract situation might be really valuable. So I wouldn't expect a ton of upside, though. Uh, I don't think he's uh, in fact, I think uh, I think he scored two more goals since you wrote that down, Pete, because he has 14 goals in 19 games in the playoffs. So I don't think he's scoring that many goals per game in, in the in the pros, but he, he definitely has uh, some good some good uh, banger appeal as and in contract league. So there's at least that going for him. So Kyle McDonald, sure. In the deep, in the deep format contract league, uh, zero wait time. We we can get on board with that. Yeah. Let's, I want to be clear about my expectation of his upside too. If I think best case scenario, he in a year makes it to NHL plays four to five years, maybe in his career on a, on a fourth line. Uh, and as a player that you can roster with an entry level contract, so you know making seven fifty eight thousand, a nice cheap cap hit for your cap league, and as a as a player that has NHL and minor eligibility for a season or two, depending on your league's scoring as well, and he can help you out with the peripheral stats, right? Like someone who might who might chip in offensively as a bonus, but basically is going to throw some hits, rack up some pins and block some shots he's a right winger so he's not going to get you face off wins but like there's value in that anyhow so let's let's move on let's talk about another guy that's not riding the poop train and i'm pretty high on this guy and that would be ty nelson right shot defenseman playing for north bay battalion he was selected first overall in the 2020 ohl draft the priority selection by north bay his fan tracks roster ship is 25%. He was picked in the 2022 draft by the Seattle Kraken, which is one of the things I like about him, in the third round, 68th overall. So what Ty Nelson is, is an offensive right shot defenseman. 
He's short. He's small, undersized at 5'10", but he's 198. I wouldn't call him an undersized player or small. He's just short, but there's a lot of power in his game. He's the kind of guy that, you know, he picks the puck up in his zone and decides to transition it up the ice by skating. And you can hear his his skates and his stride carving up the ice. I, I like how how much power he generates right out of the gate. His 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 pop is good. He's got a very hard shot too. On the power play, he can just just hammer it. And it's more of a laser than a musket. And what I mean by that is is players with with a musket have these great big hard shots but they can never get them off quickly the pass comes to them they tap it down they you know stick tap it left right left right and then they'll tickle the the rafters with their with their back of their stick and then and then crank it well who's got that kind of time no one does in the nhl that that is not gonna fly you need someone who can just either one time it or corral the puck off the pass and then very quickly and very powerfully rip it off and and he can do that he did not play in the OHL canceled season, which was his rookie season in the in the OHL. So he kind of missed that season of development. And then, you know, his rookie season was his draft year. So he had the pressure of learning the league as well as thinking about playing well for scouts and and what the scouts were going to think. So most players who come into the Ontario Hockey League have a year of acclimation and adjustment to the OHL before they're draft eligible and the eyes are really, really on them. So that I thought that was an interesting thing to take into account and perhaps why he was only a third round pick. And a lot of outlets had him ranked a little bit higher than that. Some people had him in the first round. He also is effective in in bangers leagues and bash leagues. You know, he put up points, 76 points in 67 games, which is great for a defenseman over a point a game, not too shabby. Uh, 60 penalty minutes as well, 1.3 hits per game and 1.4 blocks per game. Second in the league in playoff scoring, five goals, 17 assists and 22 points in seven games behind only Brant Clark, who's got 23 points in 12 games, both defensemen, which is kind of bananas. So this is a player that I'm projecting to the NHL as a middle six, like his chances of making it in Seattle. You know, they only have two drafts under their belt now, right? So it's not like Anaheim's system where they they're just got an embarrassment of riches with incredible defense, you know, three potential number one defenseman prospects in their system. So his, his path to the NHL as a prospect isn't that complicated. And when he gets there, I don't think he'll be a number one defenseman, but he's going to be a great minute munching defenseman that's going to do a combination of points, hits, and blocks. What's your take on on Ty Nelson, Victor? I think you summarized it perfectly at the end there. He's going to play minutes. Yeah, the fact that he's 5'11 isn't really a big deal because he is stocky. He is strong. He hits people, but he also, he doesn't just hit people. He's on the right side of the puck. He separates players from the puck. He is really good defensively. He lets that strong defense translate to offense. He's not just cheating for offense. He's not like some of these offensive defensemen that just 
you know, have weak stick and no gap control and just kind of cheat for offense. He doesn't do that. He's always on the right side of the puck. He's generating turnovers. He's turning the play the other way. And getting him in the third round was was great. I mean, yeah, just because he's a little undersized uh, in terms of height was probably the reason. I don't know that he's like a top pairing kind of guy. Second can pretty second player play time and certainly be on the PK. So I definitely like Nelson and in a lot of leagues he might be available because he was drafted so late so you definitely want to just go check right let's move on to the next guy that I'm going to bring up and that's Matias Sapovaliv S A P O V A L I V Vegas's second round pick in 2022 he's a 6 foot 383 pound center he plays for the Saginaw Spirit of the OHL, and he did his draft minus one season in the, in Czechia, then came over last year to the OHL and was a little bit under a point per game. And this year was closer to a point per game, but still under with 56 points and 61 games, 17 points and 11 playoff games for Saginaw. That was pretty great. His defense, Sepulveda, was actually his best attribute. He had really good Corsi against. So the defense was actually the best part. If you look at his PNHL, he looks about like a, a second line player, 40 point upside. And his uh, hockey prospecting has a pretty low star potential. So if you if you take the whole picture, it doesn't look that great. But his OHL playoffs look pretty incredible. So I think this is one of those cases where, you know, if you could add Sepulveda and maybe trade him based on this great run he had that might be interesting i think he's more of a bottom six guy not super interested in him so you know i'm not that keen his ohl career two years has been good but not great 52 points and 56 points pretty stagnant production in two years not really dominating Although we're talking about him on this episode because he's done exactly that in the playoffs with 17 points in 11 games. It's a small sample size, but as I mentioned earlier, the stakes are higher and the competition is harder and the pace is, is faster in the playoffs. So so that bodes well. I'd like to see him in the American Hockey League, but if he goes back to play another year in, in junior next year, we'll see him in a Memorial Cup run because I believe Saginaw is hosting the Memorial Cup. So so that'll be interesting to see if he can have another really good playoff run with, with the Spirit next year and, and what he can do at the Memorial Cup. That's pretty good uh, barometer of competition. So let's let's move on from him. And I believe that wraps up our OHL players. Or do we have one more that we want to talk about? We have one more. That is Ooh. Ryan Winterton, another Seattle draft pick. 2021 third round pick. He was very young in his draft year. And this was the year that he that they didn't play that that the OHL didn't play. So that was uh, that was one of those years where it was it was going to be tricky to see how players were going to develop. So he missed that entire year. He did play at the World Junior 18 Championships, and then in his D plus one year, he had 46 points in 37 games for Hamilton. Looked pretty good in the playoffs, and we we're like, okay, this is this is nice little bounce back. But then this season, he moved from Hamilton to London. And he had the second most time on ice of any forward and all the power play time he could handle. And he didn't really improve on his D plus one season. So this is D plus two. Now he went from 46 points in 37 games to just 36 points in 34 games. So really kind of a downgrade going to London. And again, you know, you could say, well, maybe there was, there was more 
Miles defeat and all, but he really was kind of the focal point there, and he didn't get he didn't get as many points as you would like. Winderton does have 22 points in 15 playoff games for the London Knights this season, so that's why we're bringing him up here. If you look at his hockey prospecting, it's pretty low. It's sub five percent star potential, pretty much this in his entire uh, career. D minus one D year and D plus two. And he's hovering around a 30% chance of being an NHLer. Not a lot of good comps in that range. Probably the best one that I found was Matt Cook, which was pretty much a replacement level producer. His PNHLE rates out at a second liner. Looking at his tracking data, he looks pretty good in offense and defense. He's well above the OHL average in terms of expected goals per 60. In fact, he's he's pretty much in the 95th percentile there. He looks awesome. His uh, assists per 60, not quite as high, but has generated a lot of really good chances. It seems like his expected chances are far outpacing his actual production. So maybe he's just getting a bit unlucky. That is possible for Winterton, but I don't know. I'm not very interested in Winterton. I think that he's someone who came out of the gates a little bit hot after missing a full year, but you know, kind of struggled to build on that. So you hate to see that stagnation. He is someone who will be in the AHL this upcoming season. So that'll be good to see what he can do for Coachella Valley. They tend, they had a pretty strong team this year. So maybe he can build on that. But Ryan Winterton, I would be selling him if I could, if anyone's buying this playoff run that he's on. What about you, Pete? So he's a player that I actually like. I like his size. That's great. But what stands out to, to me about him, and I've seen him play live a number of times because Hamilton's in the same division as Kingston. He's an impactful player. He he makes a difference in the games that he plays, if not on the score sheet in other ways. But my red flag with him is the most games he's ever played in a season was 53 in his rookie season. He's only played zero in his draft year, 37 in his D plus one and 34 this year. So he's injured a lot. So that's a huge red flag, his durability for me. If he could stay healthy for his rookie season in the American Hockey League and translates, you know, to a half a point a game player there, I'd be interested. Moderately interested. I don't think he's going to be a first line player, but I think he's got some some offensive upside as a bottom six winger that's going to give you some physical stats too. I agree. Watch what he does in the AHL. If he can really improve on that and translate, then then go grab him. Let's move on to our last league, the QMJHL. And we have our first player that we're going to talk about is Riley Kidney. Kidney was the 2021 second round pick for the Habs. They uh, He was traded from the Titan to Gatineau this season where he really exploded. He went from 1.5 points per game to two points per game. He's also nearly two points per game in the playoffs, which is pretty incredible. 22 points in 13 games. Looking pretty darn good there. And he is doing mostly assists there, like two to one assist to, or almost three to one assist to goal ratio. But that's kind of who he is, a good playmaker. He's not super small, but a little bit on the smaller side, I guess, one, a six foot, 170 pounds. And he looks like in the PNHLE model, he's looking like a almost a borderline first liner, looking pretty good there. But in the hockey prospecting model, he actually looks exactly like Ryan Paling, who the Habs know is maybe a bit disappointing in terms of what he ended up being because there was hope that he could be a little bit higher. But uh, if you believe his get to know small sample size, then he could be valuable in fantasy. I'm a little bit more skeptical than that. And I would rather just trade him to the friendly Habs fan in your league, Pete. What do you think? 
Yeah, I've got some concerns with him too. I think he's a one of those prolific junior scores that's not going to translate to the faster pace and higher competition in the NHL. There's another Habs player that we'll talk about that I've I've got a lot more confidence and enthusiasm to than Riley Kidney. So we'll circle back to that. The next player I want to talk about is Zach Dean. Six foot one, 179 pound center drafted 2021 first round seventh overall by Vegas. And Vegas recently traded him to the St. Louis Blues for Ivan Barbashev. So Zach, that's a great fit for Zach Dean in St. Louis. He is a St. Louis Blues prototypical player. He's a two-way player. He's physical. He's versatile. He's got some offensive upside. He's reliable defensively. He's a great skater. He's just a player, I think, that's just built for that system. This is his fourth year in Gatineau. 50 games played, 33 goals, 37 assists for 70 points. And then the playoffs, 26 points in 13 playoff games. This is another player who's raised his game as the stakes get higher. Gatineau was recently eliminated, swept, I think, by Quebec. So so he's out. He's got high offensive production in junior and at the World Junior Championships, too. With Canada, he was a role player, though, right? He was like their third line center. They put him out to win draws and to be the shutdown guy against the other team's top line play a physical role and he excelled at it. He was fantastic in that role. Only three points, but 33 penalty minutes as a shutdown player, 33 penalty minutes in the world junior seven game tournament is, is pretty, it's pretty high penalty minute total. I'm projecting him to be in the NHL and I expect him to be in a role that's more like what he was at the world juniors with Canada than, you know, the leading scorer or offensive first line player that he is with, with Gatineau. So this is a player, if you own him in your fantasy league, he'll be turning pro next year, going to the American Hockey League. I think he's a one, maybe a year and a half kind of player. And then he'll have a, a in-between time where he bounces up and down between the leagues as he's as he'll be waiver exempt. But ultimately, I see him projecting into the St. Louis Blues and probably a third line center. If he's your third line center, you got two guys ahead of him that are that are better offensive producers, that's pretty good depth for an NHL roster. And it could also help keep his salary cap number at a pretty reasonable amount, you know, in between three and five million bucks when he's at the peak of his career. So that's a manageable contract to have in a a cap league as well. And he'll give you a variety of of stats. Um, He won't be a huge hitter or shot blocker, but he's a center. So he could be just dual positional eligible early in his career. They know centers tend to break into the NHL on the wing, but he could still take some draws and get you some draws from the wing, get you some points, get a few peripheral stats. So lots to like with Zach Dean. Are you a fan there, Victor? I'm a fan. If you keep your expectations low, as you kind of pointed out, I think that, yeah, he is. I think he is a good fit there. I think that he, needs a little pro seasoning of course but yeah i definitely think that he could be a good bottom to maybe middle six pivot and that is valuable and certainly has the trajectory to look like he can be an nhl player i don't really think a lot of the points are going to translate i think that he does become more of a two-way responsible type center as he kind of adjusts to the pro game there might be a little bit more scoring pop there so I think he's probably more of like a 45 to 50, 55 point player if it all works out and not 
too much more than that. But as you mentioned, some of the peripherals and and face-off wins that can be that can be pretty valuable. So I think if you keep your expectations low, I'm a fan of Zach Dean. If you're thinking that he's going to be your next, you know, first or second line center, I'm I'm not going there. Right. And if he's not scoring 80 points a season, he's also not going to be making 9 million bucks either. Right. So a good Boone Jenner type player. So we talked a little bit about Montreal prospects and I tease that there's another one who I'm a little bit more keen on, and that would be Josh Roy, Joshua Wah. Six foot 187. He was drafted in 2021 in the fifth round, 150th overall by Montreal. He had a breakout season in his D plus one year, scoring 119 points, including 51 goals. Any player that can score 51 goals in any league is someone you want to take notice of in your fantasy prospecting. He matched his 1.8 points per game in his fourth year of junior this year, his last. In 13 playoff games, he's got 12 goals. That's a goal a game pace practically and 24 points, which is second overall. He's got two gold medals with Canada, not the USA, Victor, sorry, but with Canada's two world championship gold medal tournaments. He was he was on the roster and he made the team as uh, like a Zach Dean type player, right? Like as in a depth role as a character player. But this past tournament, he played his way right into the top six and he was on a line with Logan Stankoven and Connor Bedard. And, you know, it's hard not to score when you're playing with those two guys, but he didn't look out of place, I thought. I thought he was very good on that line. And I was outstanding in that tournament too, where he was causing turnovers. He was playing great defensively. And anytime he had a chance offensively to either pass it to Bedard or, or score on his own, he was able to, to not look out of place. And our organizational rankings that Dauber Prospects has out right now, we're into the top 10 as we release a couple of teams per day. Montreal is ranked pretty high and he is ranked only eighth overall on their depth chart in our writers consensus rankings. I had him uh, at four. So I'm obviously quite high on him. You had him pretty high too. You had him like right there with me. You had him at five. So are we ahead of the curve here? Are we just smarter than everyone else or, or are we missing something? Oh, come on. We're obviously smarter than everybody else. How how am I going to disagree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, we are. I was five. You were four. We're, we're definitely higher than the consensus there. And, you know, Josh, Josh Waugh is so interesting because, you know, if you just kind of watch him play on his own, you're like, man, this guy can't get around the ice. He's, you know, a little bit slow. He's kind of lumbering pace. His shot is good, but not amazing. But the guy just scores, right? Like he just figure he figures out where to be. He's really good at kind of finding that soft spot on the ice where he's not covered. He's good at banging in loose pucks, but he also has really good soft hands to, you know, feather some nice passes. And, and you also pointed out the other key is like, when you move up in levels, people kind of just take it for granted that you can play with better players, but that isn't always the case. And Joshua really showed that he can play with some of the best players in the world at, that those Canadian junior teams have future NHL stars on it. And he was right there with them. You know, he was, he was not just keeping up, but at at times leading the way, you know, and that I think counts for a lot. He's someone that I have a hard time pushing all the way to the top of my, you know, like a level of excitement on these prospects, partially because of of the skating that continues to be an issue. But, you know, he's also being a fifth rounder. It's like, okay, 
when when do you forget about that right when do you forget about the fact that he was a fifth rounder because at this point it's been it's been a couple of years and he's he's really proven a lot since then and i think we're pretty much at that point now where it doesn't really matter but we do really want to see what he does for the laval rocket next year that's going to be really important but i have i have pretty good confidence that he's going to continue to just figure it out because that's that's what he does and so yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty excited about joshua i wouldn't go you know trading any of my top prospects for him but you know maybe if you've got some prospects that are getting ready to mature and haven't quite worked out the way you think maybe it's time to trade one of those off for a chance at at joshua who could really end up being one of your one of the top you know players in, on this team in a, in a few years and and Montreal has some pretty good talent up there. So you could see him making some hay uh, in, in, you know, a couple of years, perhaps. I think he's probably has at least one year in the A, maybe, maybe two. Maybe he sees uh, some games here or there in, in 2024, 25. What do you think? Yeah, I'm getting some really strong Anthony Sorelli vibes from him. You know, Anthony Sorelli was a, an impact player and he just found ways to be important in hockey games, to win games, a go to player. And, but he was always ranked so low because he was, you know, never drafted in, in either league, never drafted in, into the OHL, never drafted into the NHL. And yet here he is dominating at those levels and being an impact player everywhere he goes, he finds a way to be relevant. And Josh walk is giving me those kind of vibes where I think he's just going to make it and, and make an impact when he gets there too. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be a, a 90 point player or anything like that, but I think he's going to have a nice NHL career. And I think he's going to be a very valuable player to the Montreal Canadians. That value might be higher in, in the NHL than it is, in fantasy levels. So keep that in mind. And it is also difficult for me to speak so glowingly of Montreal prospects, but he is what he is. And I like what I see from him. And he's a player I would definitely have interest in, in owning and keeping an eye on, on how he does at the American hockey league. And my expectations are he'll do real, real well when he gets there. All right. So I think that's our last player that we wanted to talk about as the uh, as the CHL marches on to the Memorial Cup. Thanks for listening to the fourth episode of the Dauber Prospects Report. You can follow us on some social medias if you want to reach out to us, if you've got comments on the show or ideas for topics for us to talk about or players that you want to hear about, then, you know, follow us on social media. Uh, The show is at DPR underscore show. Victor's handle is at Victor Nuno 12. And our producer who does those great teaser episodes and cleans up all of my ums and whatnots is Evan Sabarin at Sabarin 91. My name is Peter Harling at Farling, P-H-A-R-L-I-N-G. As I mentioned earlier, we got a new name for the show. We're now the Dauber Prospects Report, and we got a new logo. And I wanted to give a shout out to Victor's friend who created that logo for us. That would be the talented Kevin Longwell. You can follow him on Twitter or Instagram at Kevin Longwell, K-E-V-I-N-L-O-N-G-W-I-L-L. That's my final thoughts for this episode, Victor. Do you got any last parting words of wisdom? Don't overrate these small sample sizes in the Memorial Cup run. That's that's basically the bottom line. If If they've only done it for this playoff or even for half the season, 
I'm not sure that I believe it, but Hey, you know, there's worse things. than if you have a free ad, add a guy, if you can, and see how it goes, if you have the roster space, but remember your roster space is also a weapon. And so don't just, uh, don't, don't go adding these guys and thinking they're going to be the next, uh, you know, the next second coming of Wayne Gretzky, because chances are they're going to be droppable. I agree. I would put more stock in prospects that have impressive performances in the American Hockey League playoffs. But that's a topic for another day. Maybe next week. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. All right. That's it for this episode, everyone. Thanks for listening. Keep your stick on the ice. We'll see you next time. Come on down and get places for the home games. Bring the kids. We got entertainment for the whole family. Let's do that hockey. Hockey.